Uh-oh, Alex is gonzo. Alex is on a flight. He's gone to, uh, he's out of town, so it's just, it's just yes, man there. And also, he's gonzo. He's playing gonzo in an off-Broadway production of Muppet Babies, the musical. <laughs> Muppet Babies presents Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, he's gonzo, baby. Gonzo on gonzo. Gonzo on all right, let's do the let's do this this episode. Welcome. All right, I'm going to do my best Alex haunted impression. No, I'm not going to do it. Never mind. Welcome to Bundle Buddies. This is a podcast where we play independently created video games from itch.io and beyond. My name is Eric Taylor Roth. I'm joined by our producer Matthew Haddock. And uh, usually Alex Haunted is here to co-host, but he's on vacation, so he left uh, all the responsibilities up to me, and I'm going to try to do you proud, Alex. I know you're listening to this up there, up there in the Muppet Babies production of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and I hope that uh, we can do you proud. Uh, we started playing through the itch.io bundle for racial justice and equality when it was launched in June 2020, raising over $8 million for charitable causes. We have since added even more bundles and games that celebrate the spirit of indie gaming and social justice. This is episode 73, and we have played 206 of the 3,451 games in our bundles, and we promise to play all of them. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing, man? Wow, Matt? I'm doing great. That was so good. It's so well done. You got a lot of words Thank you. out. <laughs> uh, I tried to. I just tried to get to the other side. I saw that there was reading to do, and I did yeah. it. Yeah, I um, uh, I think this is a funny episode because you and I are doing the bumper, and Alex and I are doing the episode. We, yeah, uh, if this is your first, uh, your first listen. <laughs> it's atypical. It's going to be very confusing Truly. for you. Uh, um, speaking of uh, not atypical, but the opposite, typical, I've started playing Overwatch again, which is a sign that I'm, I'm uh, my mental health is in decline. So, oh yeah. wow, should I download it? Should I? Yeah. Should I get Overwatch? <laughs> Have you ever played it? Okay. No, no. I don't know. No, I, actually. So this episode, I was really upset. Um, to find out after the after the fact but um our guest well i'm just gonna bring uh, our guest this week is natalie clayton they are a scottish game designer writer and apex legends crack shot they write for a pc gamer and you can follow natalie on twitter at it's underscore nat clayton i am so bummed <laughs> that this is the the episode that i missed because we would have talked so much about apex legends it i you know i've been threatening to turn bundle buddies into an apex legends talk show for such a long time now and this would have been the opportunity to do so i i'm actually excited to listen to this episode because um i want to hear all about uh natalie's exploits yeah i mean we unfortunately can't entertain her too long in that respect <laughs> because we don't i mean i've played a bit of apex but it's changed so much over the past couple of years like i have no idea what apex currently is compared to like vanilla apex that i played back in the day oh uh, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of goofy shit it is lots of goofy stuff. shit i think that they are really nat nat i mean um is really into like the rp the 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 like lore and stuff and such. Oh, that's yeah. funny. I couldn't, I, 
see Natalie and I would be a great co-host because I know nothing about the lore. I don't keep up. I couldn't care less. <laughs> so we'd we'd fill in the gaps for one another. Right. Um, the cause this week: uh, any abortion fund in the United States, donate to one. Send us proof. We'll shout you out. Uh, check out uh, our Twitter, the Bundle Buddies Twitter, for more details if you uh donate and send proof to bundle buddies podcast at gmail.com we will shout you out on the show i say uh, we get into it what do you think let's go all right i'll see you all on the other side bye nat thank you so much for doing the podcast it's no problem um it's great to have you on here yeah we i mean we played um can androids pray uh red as far because I, I believe that was in the uh racial justice and equality bundle and really liked it <laughs> i i put yeah i put that on one i put that one in a couple of i think in three bundles at this point it's in the ukraine one it's in the racial justice and i think it was in a be a better cyberpunk one that was like a a kind of reactive fuck cyberpunk 2020 2077 bottle that someone put together <laughs> that <rocks>. awesome yeah <laughs> did you ever play any cyberpunk uh 2077 no no i was just yeah. so tired by the time that game came out <laughs> <laughs> it, it did seem like a big project to undertake like people talking about 80 hours of gameplay and it was all buggy and you'd lose like a few hours I, at a time well like i was working i was working new shifts at the time so it was like the three months running up to that game were just here's a post about a trailer they put out or a feature they put out, or here's three weeks of posts about how broken it is. But it's like, I don't want to devote any headspace to that. Right. It almost seems like part of their like PR strategy was yeah. just talking about how broken it was all the time. <laughs> it was definitely, I feel like a lot of games outlets just ate off that game with the unbelievable hype and then how busted it was. It just was completely unavoidable for a while. Hi. They fixed it though, supposedly. <laughs> That's what I hear. I'll never know. Yeah. I, I never yeah. played it. Yeah, I, no. Matt, I think I watched you stream it a little bit, Matt, and you were like, this is cool. Okay, this is a lot. Okay, this yeah, is this no, is it was it was too much. It yeah. was too much. <laughs> um, I'm, so that's I'm at a point. I'm at a point in my life where I will readily put like a thousand hours into like any multiplayer game. I can just do the same thirty minutes off over and over again. But if oh, it's yeah. a single player thing that is longer than like two hours, I'm just like, no, that's too much. Thanks, actually. <laughs> That that perfectly explains the sickness that I have now. <laughs> I can't focus on anything, but I I know I just like reinstalled Overwatch and I can't stop playing it again. So is that right? You're are you playing it on your PC again? Yeah, and it scratches the itch. Like the games are long enough. I feel immersed enough by the world to not I don't know to continue playing and being interested. But I'm not sure I'm getting again. Not sure if I'm getting a lot out of it. <laughs> Yeah, Nat, you play, is it Apex? You play a lot of Apex, right? I've, I've played a, a little bit of Apex. Yeah. <laughs> I've played, I've played, hold on. It's, I've played 1,063 hours of Apex. Wow. I That's awesome. That, least, <laughs> that rocks. Uh, at least 900 of those are since I got completely brainwormed on it last May. Oof. So a year, you're a year in. Yeah. And a thousand hours stronger. <laughs> That's so wild. I am um, God. I I played Overwatch for a while. 
I, my, the, the way my brain works, my like sickness games are like turn-based strategy. So civilization or, you know, XCOM, those kind of things. I got really into Hades for a while. That was a game I played a lot of. Um, and that's got a, Hades has kind of a similar loop to like a multiplayer game where you're yeah, just, Hades is, Hades is like, I, I like brainwormed on a few roguelikes sort of like at the tail end of uni way back, I got obsessed with nuclear throne and then a bit into Enter the gungeon. Hades is like interesting in what it's doing with narrative structure in a roguelike. I don't know if it's ultimately pays off, but it is like a very solid Wii game. I think I, burned through that in like a week while we were on holiday up north somewhere oh that rocks uh wh- yeah. where are you based um i'm in edinburgh right now oh cool not not much further up north you can get from edinburgh there's quite a bit north actually we're like <laughs> south of, it's like south of scotland's mostly that's cool have you been in scotland uh for a while i mean i you sound Scottish. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't like, know. I was born here, but we lived in England for four years. But otherwise, do you, So the kind of games you're drawn to these days are the the uh, the, the big brain wormy uh, multiplayer games where you can you know you compete against I, other folks. Are those the kind of games you've always been drawn to, or like take us through your sort of journey and your experience with video games? It's weird like for i would say that yes like the thing i'm i'm very into now and have sort of been very into for a long time is just like if i can find the one like competitive multiplayer game that i can like get better at and feels like i'm learning a skill set of it almost like Mm. for apex i was big into splatoon before that i was big into hawken but hawken died before that i was big into super monday night combat but that died (laughs) I always wanted to get into Hawken. It seems so cool. I've but never, I never heard of Hawken. Yeah. It was um it was like just aesthetically so just like everything I love about mecha fiction stuff. Like it's just like it's not the clean toy like toy like Gundam stuff. It's like what if an AC unit had legs and a machine gun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that rocks. It's very dirty. It's very mechanical. It's very like broken. Right, like hacking together sort of I, whatever existing it's technology. Very, it's, it's, very, it's very desperate. Is yeah, I think, oh, like, I love that. In the that. way it looks, but also in like the way it plays. It was a very like fast game. It was very like reactive. It was very like everything had kick and every like Every like slide you did in your mech felt like it was going to tear the thing apart. Right, right. That that was was that the game? I, I feel like way before that game came out, there was a trailer or something that was like so. It, I, I it's like in my brain and my memory, and I haven't explored it. But it was like the ultimate mech game. It was like what I wanted to play, and it was almost like a tech demo. And I think it what is what end up when it ended up becoming Hawken, but um. I don't know. It was just in my memory. I don't know. Mechs like us like take up a large portion of my fantasy brain. <laughs> yeah, I love I, mechs. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we should get in the best mechs. We're the best mechs. <laughs> I think. Uh, did you guys ever play the first system I had was a Super Nintendo, and there was a game called Mech Warrior on there, which oh, was yeah. 
this incredibly ambitious game for the Super Nintendo. It was like a first person. Yeah, and like I know the the name Mechware is like an yeah. old PC game. I didn't know it yeah. was on the SNES. <laughs> I think that I, it's. I think that's what it was called. I think it was like the original Mech Warrior, and you would just like there. There was like the this kind of like central hub screen that you were exploring with your controller and stuff like that as you would zap around in different parts of the galaxy, and there was a, a story going on. And I got really into that for a while. Um, and then just recently, there was a Mech game that's on Xbox Game Pass. It's like a turn-based strategy Mech game that absolutely blew up my life for about a month and uh i had to uninstall it from my computer <laughs> that game <laughs> looks cool it was great do you remember what it's called matt i should know that. uh no i can't remember but it, it was there was like a, a sort of a story aspect to that too right like it was all a story character. it was all yeah. a story aspect yeah. yeah it was great um the game the, the super nintendo game i remember was I think it was called metal warriors and it was like a side-scrolling mech game and it was almost it was like a beat em up, but you could like fly in any direction and kind of hover. And it was the the like sprites were beautiful. The animation was really cool. Um, and it kind of I think it was a like had that like Japanese uh, mech style, like what it eventually became, you know, like the Metal Gear Solid uh, thing, Metal Gear. See, I'm feeling a lot younger than the both of you because I think my first <laughs> exposure to mech fiction was a game called Phantom Crash on the original Xbox. <laughs> Oh, oh Phantom Crash. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that game's awesome too. Hi. You know, I think that I um I experienced a lot of these games uh in adulthood playing <laughs> emulators. <laughs> um I, yeah, I forgot about Phantom Crash. That was um gosh, that was around the time that what was it Steel Battalion? Was I, the big someone thing. actually <laughs> um someone actually I like I was never able to afford a Steel Battalion pads, but I think before we started Dev and Candroids, I was still just like making wee experimental things. I had a game that was just like fitzing around with a wee robot in a in a like very minimalist desert atmosphere. But a friend of mine at the time was like traveling up from Newcastle to visit their partner in Arbroath and stopped in Edinburgh and was just like, hey, I have a steel battalion controller. Do you want it? Oh, cool. <laughs> It doesn't I, have the pedals, so like it doesn't really work. But I've like wanted for a while to try and get it set up in a way where I could like make something with it. Oh my god! I that's like my my uh, white whale peripheral. <laughs> I want <laughs> I want <laughs> I want a steel battalion controller so bad. I've wanted it since it came out, but it was like two hundred dollars at the time, and I was what like twelve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like I. But even now, you can't find them at all. So that's that, – I wonder if you can get the pedals somewhere. You might be able to find them somewhere. It's weird because it's kind of cheap. <laughs> to really? <laughs> I don't, it might just be age, but like the analog – because I did briefly get it working with like – I managed to find some like old 2005 Japanese PC drivers for it, and you plug those into like VJoy or something, and right. I got it working with MechWarrior Online, and it did oh, work. Man. A yeah. lot of the buttons didn't work and like the throttle didn't work, but like the joysticks and stuff did and they were <laughs> not very good joysticks. I, you know, I'm really not surprised. It, the, in my imagination, it was like steady, stepping into an actual uh, Mac console, but at the end of the day. It is it like is just a, like aesthetically a very cool thing to own yeah. though. Yeah. The controllers, I, I just Googled this. I had never heard of this and looking at it, it looks so rad. Like just being able to like go to, 
war with that it would be so cool like flick the switch like yeah. toggling <laughs> toggling switches and like i don't know i um yeah, you have like the little glass like flip box eject button that you have to like open if you want to like bail out that is so cool because <laughs> i imagine i mean in contr- controllers in general and like mouse and keyboard in general it's you're getting like a um the experience is always translated especially when it's a game like a mech you're actually the the fiction or what you're telling yourself is that you're controlling something you're controlling so like the uh, um a gamepad is just a translation of that control so i don't know it's kind of a weird mental thing to think about <laughs> I totally know I what know. you mean. There's you know like, what I mean, though? It's, it's like, very much like trying to map the one-to-one of what you're doing. Yeah, with right. Like, like, that's, I mean, MechWarrior Online makes me crazy. There's <laughs> <laughs> too many things. I've never played any of those things online. The first person of it all, like, freaks me out. So it was the original MechWarrior. came out in 1993 for the Super Nintendo, and I played wow. the hell out of that thing. That was so fun. There was another Super Nintendo one, oh MechWarrior 3050. Outrageous. It's great. I gotta, I gotta, you know, they didn't have your guys' fancy little controller or anything like that. We had just had the, you know, the Super Nintendo uh, controller, and we were we were glad for it. Um, but it was it was cool. The game I was talking about, the the sort of strategy based one that's it was at least on Game Pass back in like November, is BattleTech. And I oh, BattleTech whips. Yeah, yeah. I sank a lot of time to that game. That was awesome. BattleTech. There's like a whole extended universe in that too. Right? Is that mm-hmm. the one that was the all thing, those the books? Thing, so like BattleTech and MechWarrior are the same like setting. They're both like spins on the BattleTech tabletop game. Mm. But like BattleTech, the 2016 Hairbrain Scheme game is like my favorite. Like BattleTech is a very like pulp. 80s 90s sci-fi setting where it's all like all like action heroes doing like big mm-hmm. robotching battletech 2016 reframes that in a really like interesting like it's a lot more dramatic it plays it leans much harder into like the weird space feudalism of it all it's very tragic in its delivery it plays out like a big like a space opera in that yeah. way yeah Right, right. That's the way I felt uh, when I was playing. It, it, if this wasn't 2016, it's like the updated version or something. I'm not sure exactly which edition There's of it, been it is. There's a few like yeah, the updates for it, but I think it was 20, it was 2016 or 2018. It reminds me a lot. Did either of you guys ever play Escape Velocity Nova? Mm-mm. Absolutely it, not. <laughs> it's it was a um, it's a I think it's before like the Escape Velocity stuff became or EV stuff became like the massive. MMORPG it is now, you know? I'm pretty sure there's like a one-on-one connection there, but it's just like you're playing this little ship that's zipping around the universe, and there's a couple different, like, uh, routes you could go or or main quests, but you're trading or uh, becoming a mercenary. You can do all these things, and you acquire power-ups and new ships and all these things as you go on. And it's... you That sense of exploration in that game is what the new Battletech reminded me of a lot because you can just go deep into faction space and then start to influence the politics there and follow kind of that main quest for a while and see what that's like. And there's just like so many different routes you can take, which I, it, uh, it, it kind of makes me anxious to be honest, because it's like so good and there's so much, I don't want to miss out on anything. Yeah. So, 
um, I don't know. I, I, is that, is it like the way you're managing the world itself? Like it's similar to XCOM, like between battles, like you're it's actually, like yeah. you have, you're, it's like you're flying around with like a mercenary company and you mm -hmm. have to manage your ship that you're flying around in, which is this piece of trunk, this piece of trash that you find on a moon. It's all broken. <laughs> so you have to spend time upgrading that you have staff and like you have to pay your pilots and train them up. And all the while you're like taking missions. It's very like, it's trying to evoke the kind of like cowboy bebop way of this, like, mm -hmm. oh, you're surviving on like pennies at a time. Like, exactly. Cause you get yeah, these like little story vignettes as well that like pop up from time to time when you're traveling. Cause like travel takes real time. It takes like a week to go from the planet you're at to the jump gate to the next system. So it, does a good job of like painting the downtime of like what your pilots are doing in the meantime, where they're just like riling each other up in the cafeteria or breaking stuff, trying to create better guns. Oh, that's awesome. It's cool. It's really, <laughs> it's really, really cool. And then that feeling of, of if you do a mission, the way you can get new mechs by like taking down your opponent's mechs and not completely destroying them. So if there's like a really sweet mech, you're like, Oh, I just want to save that one for the end. And like, you'll like sacrifice other mechs, which means like some pilots can possibly die, but it's worth it to get that incredible mech out of the equation. Like it rocks. It was so much fun. Oh, just talking about it makes me want to go back and play. <laughs> so Nat, like when did you get into video games? Like what is your, what is your history with, with this uh, medium? I know I got into video games when my mom brought home an Xbox for Christmas when I was like, nine or ten i want to say but i don't know that i get like into into games until like i start playing mmos as a teen and like i get deep into world of warcraft or Warhammer mm. online at the time mm -hmm. you know like everyone does but at the same time i'm like that those things are like on off habits and in the meantime i do a lot of like just playing whatever on our extremely what's the word unreliable there's a better word for it. we had a very like fussy very annoying home pc and i would just like try <laughs> playing stuff i would um be playing like dipping in strategy games with dawn of war i'd get into going through the half-life games <laughs> on advice from some friends at home, on advice from some friends at school and like those games both also got me deep into modding so I wouldn't get into modding Dawn of War until like I was in my 20s, but I spent a lot of time just messing around making maps in Half-Life and Gary's Mod and Portal at the time. Awesome. So and it's so... all just... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, go... I'm just like, <laughs> it's all just like this mash of just like trying new stuff while I'm growing up. That's so cool. I, I really respect anyone who gets like into the modding side of things. That uh, That rocks. Do you feel like, um, so, so from that, you, at uh, what point do you start, I don't know, like making, making games and making little projects and like starting on your own, um, you know, standalone things beyond the, you know, the Gary's mod and. But like, so I got, stuff. like, I went to a game design university in Dundee from like, I want to say like 2012 to 2017. Oh, nice. Which was. I hadn't done much. Like, I don't think I'd ever released anything before then, but going there is when I start, like, 
talking about making stuff and like playing making stuff. I have like a whole raft of thoughts on like how actually useful that course was in terms of like learning game design, but it was a place where you were talking about game design with other people and starting to make small things where there was that like game jams that happen a lot of the time, whether it's at like making course projects later in the in the in the course. Interesting. But at the same time, like every summer I would find like an industry job to like work. I spent the summer of 2014 doing QA on Alien Isolation at Sega down in London. Cool. For a few weeks. And every summer thereafter, I did a bunch of level art for Minecraft because the studio that made the console ports for Minecraft was based from this wee like studio down on the Dundee seafront. So we'd go there, we'd make all these like big open world, like mashup pack downloads stuff for people to play through. Kind of incredible. Just like the one-to-one of like your modding history, designing stuff to like a, a job like that. Right. So like, it sounds like you were doing some development, a lot of like design oriented stuff. Um, yeah, so, like I was, it's always been like going into a design course. I'm tangentially an artist sometimes, but I can't code for shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like, you know, that's, it's design is this like nebulous thing where you kind of have to have your, you have to have to be able to do a lot of different things, but um, you're, yeah, like design itself is so, it's so um, yeah. abstract. Yeah, <laughs> and I think like, like that's where a lot of my problems with the course came from because it was like their view of a design course is just teach everything. We're going to have a music module. We're going to have a code module. We're going to have a business management module. We're going to teach 3D art. We're going to teach 2D art. We're going to teach video editing. And there wasn't really as much of just like, okay, what is design? And like, how do you best go about designing things? Because mm. design is, game design is a lot of like understanding different mediums, but it is a medium in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's so, and it's becoming its own thing, you know, it's still evolving <laughs> and um, it just, it does seem like it's very easy you know, as I can imagine if you're putting together a curriculum for one of these courses to mm. just want to expose everybody to as many facets of it as possible. But in reality, I mean, as I come to kind of what you're saying, the best, like the collaborative parts of it and the opportunities to experiment or where you're actually going to learn. Uh, it's like, design it's something is, that right? you only learn by doing it. Right. So right. the way I would imagine you'd like best teach that is just like get people to start making small things as quickly and as often as you can. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's, whenever I talk to anybody who makes games, that seems to be their thing is just like, start doing something like give your create a problem for yourself or start with like, just like a physics, like experiment in unity and see what comes of that. And then like, I don't know. I, I, so I actually talking about, um, can androids pray? Like that, because I feel like you've made more games than that. I was looking at your itch. Yeah. And, but that seems to be the one that has got, got the most yeah, traction. It's, like, or... it's like the big one. Everything yeah. I was making before then is, I'm looking at this as well now. It's like most of these are 
more like experimentally kind of things. They're just like, they're things I'm making in my spare time or they're things I was making for the two months I had a Patreon for after uni. Transit is a uni project that I showed at our degree show, but it was also a project that got me talking to a lot of people that would set me up for later on. Gotcha. But it's just like, even post Candroids, a lot of it is just like, I'm going to open Unity or I'm going to open Betsy and I'm just going to like see what I can make. I don't know if I have like the exact quote somewhere, but I know Xavier messaged me at one point saying like, I have a very like, he describes my game dev process as doodling. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's, I mean, but what better way to be like truly creative, right? <laughs> it's Hi. like to just let the things flow out of you rather than, I don't know, like I can imagine some people go and probably would have a very structured orderly process in place or like an idea that they want to translate to, you know, a unity project or to an actual finished game. Mm -hmm. But we talk a lot about on the show about uh, experiments and like yeah. people making and, and, you know, and how a lot of interesting things come from mistakes and glitches and things of that nature. And I don't know, doodling seems like a good way to yeah. make those things happen. <laughs> and like, and that, that like comes from like the thing I loved so much about like modding is that it usually just gives you all the tools and a space to like do stuff with them. And you can just like, Half-Life modding is just like paint, create some boxes, slam some textures on them and then put some models in between. And like, you have a space now. You can make an interesting space from that. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. I mean, that rocks, yeah. yeah. With, <laughs> with Canon Android's Prey, could you tell us a little bit about like the development of that? Do you know uh, how I, you guys got uh, hooked up together? You and uh, yes, Javier? Yes, so I met... I met Xavier at a... Xavier. Oh my God. That's such a cool name. Xavier Nelson Jr. At a, at a, a video game talks event that used to run in London called Video Brains. At the time, he was living in Italy, so they'd like flown him over for this. But we met up there and that was just like, okay, cool. Like we're talking here. We're like, that's, nothing happens at this point. We just like get to know each other. Mm. About a year, I want to say like a year later, I meet him again at Amaze Berlin, which is far and away my favorite games festival. It's just like the guy who runs it, Thorsten, just finds some dilapidated building in Berlin and hosts like a games and art and music festival there oh, for man. <laughs> three or four or five days. That is awesome. We meet again there and then we like actually start talking because at this point I've been doing... Like I, I, I post a, I post a lot and I post a lot of my development, just like ideas. If I'm just like footsing around in unity, I will just like put screenshots up all the time. I think this is like 2018 or so, but like he sees that and he's like, Hey, I might like, we should like get chatting about doing something. So he sends me a script and I'm a fan of it we get sort of contracts sorted out and I start messing around with molding that script into a game. Mm. I hit a very immediate snag early on, which is that again, I can't code for shit. <laughs> so at the time I'm trying, I'm trying to translate his code into unity using ink, which does get the, like the dialogue on screen as prose, but it isn't 
giving me like the scene control that I need. So that's like the 80 days engine, right? Yes, and, it's yeah, the, okay. um, I think it's in calls, like proprietary sort of visual. It's like a not quite visual novel. It's very like narrative oriented scripting tool. Right. So at this time, I'm like working a full-time job as well. I hit the snag and I just like put off the game for like eight months. <laughs> I get to the end of the year and I'm hitting this point where I'm like starting to feel very burnt out by this job because I'm working like, it's like a business focused game site. I'm doing like a lot of very dry number stuff. I'm feeling like not very creatively fulfilled. Mm. So I'm like, I should actually do something with Cantroids. <laughs> I think I, I put like another tweet call out and someone links me towards Fungus, which is another visual scripting language that's more focused towards like visual novels. And that way the example project it gives you is just like a very sexy Sherlock Holmes and Watson like talking to each other. But the good thing about Fungus is that not only is it like, it creates a text box that I can like easily change the R assets for it also, the scripting language it uses lets me plug directly into like Unity game objects. So I can start controlling things like camera positions, start controlling lighting and scene transitions using this tool. So I can just flowchart out the entire game in like a couple of weeks. And from I mean, there, it's just it like, it like was like the game doesn't happen if I don't have fungus. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's mentioning like, Sorry, go ahead, Alex. No, no, please, Matt. I'm loving you guys chatting. This is great. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just, I, I was just thinking about in Android's play, the the, the camera angles and the yeah, and how dynamic that makes the entire experience. Yeah. Well, all like all the rest of it, like the way it sways, is just me finding a handheld camera shake add-on and plugging that in. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm doing I, all these things where I'm just like throwing stuff I'm finding at the game to see what works. Throwing old tutorial code script into it for throwing in script from old projects into it most of the R assets are from like an old project i was fucking around with at the time i think i eventually get to replacing the actual like mech model itself at one point because again not really an artist but i am doing all the art for this thing i think um one of the things about visual novels as a genre in general is is most visual novels are made by people who really like visual novels and you know, it sort of feels like they're creating, it's for a pretty small audience of like visual right. novel fans kind of a thing. And this game doesn't even like strike me as a visual novel at first. Yeah, when... we found it so hard to like define it when I'm talking right. to people about it with people. I think I end up just by saying like interactive fiction because it doesn't, there isn't, there aren't really like any branches. It's just like every dialogue choice is choosing how you want to characterize yourself in the scene mm -hmm. interactive yeah, I, fiction is nice I, I, I like that description a lot but it feels like very dynamic interactive fiction in a way that you know you play something in twine or something like that and there is you know the illusion of choice a little bit but you're still kind of playing in your brain a lot as opposed to in this where there is a full cinematic experience going on uh, which is lovely it reminds me of you know when you play when you're when you're doing the uh, you're role playing a game that really doesn't really change based on your uh, the way you react, but you still feel that sense of ownership 
and autonomy because you're you're saying things in a certain way. <laughs> you know, it's like it forces you to feel engaged. I don't know. Like I, throughout this, I was not worried so much. I mean, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> in this world you know things are not looking Hi. good <laughs> but like <laughs> it's I, it's sort of a, for me it's, just, it's like a meditation on having a personality despite the how things are dismal and 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 the ways you've expressed yourself and and uh, communicate with other people even though you know death is imminent <laughs> which is a kind of a metaphor <laughs> um definitely a metaphor um so anyway, so how how long between um, you like getting this all together? I mean, you'd have us all fooled if you said you you don't consider yourself an artist or something because the game is like clearly yeah, it's really beautiful, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's it's I I like half joke when I say like not an artist because like I don't describe myself an artist, but I think I do like have an eye for like composition and palettes in a way that helps the game even if i'm not particularly great at actually constructing like our assets a lot of the models in those in those scenes are very shoddily put together <laughs> but it's part of the charm of it uh, do you think are, are, are you interested in like continuing to explore this space or it's it's very interesting to like talk to the, f the first half of the episode about you know mech games and sort of those focuses because this feels like the kind of story you can tell in a mech universe with like just working with like two or three people, you know what I mean? This feels like the kind mm. of thing you could do. Do you want to keep doing like smaller stories like this or more experimental stories? Or if you had your brothers as a game designer, what kind of games would you be making? God, I'm at, so, I'm at, this is like hitting at a real like career impasse. Right ah! now. <laughs> so like, I've been thinking a lot about like, I've been in professional games journalism for a long time and like mm -hmm. I need I'm hitting the same moment of like I need to make stuff again mm -hmm. but it is a lot of like trying to figure out at what level I want to be making stuff again at because we got a, like a very solid reception off of Candroids it the people who liked it really liked it but also we had no marketing budget beyond me just showing up at like tiny game shows <laughs> so <laughs> It is not a particularly sustainable business model. Right, right, right. I know. So I've been, I'm just like at the current point, I want to find more ways to like develop myself as a designer in different situations. Like I wouldn't mind like being a part of a much larger team working on towards something bigger that's maybe, I don't have to think about the broader shape of it. But I'm also thinking of like, I've been talking to a friend about doing just like a quick, like month long joke project. We're going to make a fun, small scene with a bunch of like little skits scattered around it. That sounds rad. I'd love to see that. What has your experience been, uh, you know, working with like itch in general or itchio? I mean, do you feel like that community is receptive to what you're doing and they're supportive? Yeah, like every um every comment we got on itch was lovely. Um, we actually, I wasn't in communication with itch as much, but Xavier, who was acting both as writer and producer, on the thing, was talking to, I don't remember the name of the guy, but at the time, itch was working on the thing where right now, if you go on the itch homepage, it will sometimes show like, I don't know if it still does this, but for a long time, it would show like 
a sort of featured game and there'd be a video running in the background and that game would be like the front page of itch for like two weeks we weren't the first game to do that oh, that's <laughs> so, so cool. cool that's awesome so they like were very like the itch itself was very supportive yeah it's just like yeah because it's just still like it still wants to be more of like a indie hub more than it's a business so it yeah. seems a lot more receptive to like making stuff that works for the people using it more than the stuff that more than it wants to work for like shareholders or whoever. Yeah, exactly. More than it more, still feels very way. like old internet in that way. I know it's so sad that like, that's kind of rare now that this is like mm. maybe the only, well, when Bandcamp got, bought, yeah, I think Bandcamp right? is like close to it as well. When they got bought by this, Epic Games. The same, so, I think they both know? have this sense of like, you're not really, you it's you don't go on itch or bandcamp so much to like be shepherded into new stuff you go to like someone's itch page or you go to someone's bandcamp page from like elsewhere and it's like their own little personal website yeah that's what i i am finding myself missing more than anything is the the personal website <laughs> now that we're moving into you know, i mean we've been in you know social media web yeah we, for... we live in a world where there are like three websites yeah <laughs> exactly i know actually uh our alex and my good friend has set up his own personal website <laughs> that he updates <laughs> like once a month and when he updates it it's so exciting and fun <laughs> to see what he's put up there and i don't know it's just it's for him to own the experience and the way it looks mm. and everything is yeah and i guess you know itch is great about allowing you to like of change the markup on your page and like make it look however yeah. you like. The only real problem we had with itch was there isn't an easy way to have like collaborators on one project. And that's like why Android's released the way it did with two mm. editions in a bundle for the same price as both editions plus the soundtrack, because we weren't going to make a company or have to mess with like, one of us paying the other out or having to set up a joint account. So we just say, no, just buy the bundles. So it buys both of them and gives us a share easily. Oh, that's clever. That's with, really with a With a slightly higher tier to get the score from Priscilla Snow and give her a third of the cost. That does feel like a pretty big oversight now that you're mentioning it. <laughs> it's very, it's very weird. I don't know yeah. what like roadblocks are in the way for that but it, feel, it feels like that's how the itch community works it is a lot of like collaboration mm -hmm. it is a lot of like small scenes forming around like or just like massive scenes like like spooky ps1 games are such a huge thing now and yeah that community that community all knows each other and they're all making games with each other so it's wild that they can't like get paid with each other as a collective i yeah there is... was a there was kind of a drama a couple of months ago because someone like tried to expose itch for saying like if you keep your money like on the yeah. your itch account for like x amount of time like you can't you can't do that it'll go away you know yeah, like, close the account or something but it's like because they don't want to be a bank so i, yeah. I can't <laughs> imagine it has something to do with that you know where they're like we're not trying I, to, to do i i don't i won't even pretend to understand how like financials <laughs> work for storefronts totally i am so happy i don't run a business <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds like such a headache
so let's chat about the games we played this week. Uh, played three games. Uh, this is a very strange, I think, cross section <laughs> of the bundles, Matt, that that hmm. we played. Let's talk about Zetball Deluxe first. This is from the Racial Justice Equality Bundle by Blaney Kyle, a puzzle game. The description says it all. Simple game. I made it in my free time 15 years ago. Control the gold paddles using the keyboard. Each time the ball hits a paddle, the player receives one point. Each of the 20 stages has a points goal, and when the goal is met, you will proceed to the next stage. The stages become more complex as you progress, increasing the number of paddles, barriers, and balls. Eventually, obstructive gray paddles are introduced, which move independently and do not add to your score. Yeah, this is uh, like a brick blocker game. Yeah, it's conceptually neat. Yeah. It's broken. But... I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally broken. It is, it's like absolutely like the quintessential. Like uh, like they say, I made this 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> early, or, or someone's, someone's like early game development project. This is like the perfect, it, it really, the description, it really does say it all. This guy made this 15 years ago. It's like, yeah, I believe it. I totally, I totally buy it. I, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but when you do like any game development class or game design class, they always have you start out with like paddle ball games. <laughs> and it's like the way you learn like programming. Like it's so easy to want to like that. Like the first group I went into for our like game development, like society at uni was like, Oh, we're going to make this like, this like rhythm based top down space shooter. There's going to be like Parox backgrounds and stuff. Oof. It's like, no, just, just make snake or make asteroids or make, make snake with a gun perhaps. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the only time, like that's the first time I was successful at making a game. <laughs> that's so cool. Do y'all remember, I'm just having a memory. Do you remember slime volleyball? Slime volleyball. <laughs> I don't know why this. I think this might, this might have unlocked the fucking deep memory. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an online game, but I remember. Oh my god! Oh my god! Holy shit! <laughs> That's so. Sorry, but... I can't do the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I, I remember we had to make remember a copy some... of slime volleyball. For, that was the second game I made after a bad paddleball game. The slime volleyball. This game, that game was fun. Slime Volley was awesome. I actually, can we play? I'm, really, I'm, I'm playing it now. I'm really. I'm playing it right this. now, actually. <laughs> slime tennis is still coming soon. Oh yeah, this is Slime Volley. This game's awesome. Yeah, this is a uh, this is kind of all you need. <laughs> the pathetic, if, oh, the pathetic white slime. But my my feeling about Slime Volleyball, like if this is what Zetball was, I'd be fucking pumped. You know what I mean? The 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 all you can like you can like see the world where Zetball works because it is just like Pong with obstructions mm -hmm. and like it is kind of clumsy to act to have to move like horizontal paddles and vertical ones but like mm -hmm. you could see like that being a thing you get over the problem is the physics don't really work balls will just con constantly get stuck like on the same like. It'll bounce between like the side of your paddle and the wall. And because scoring is just any time it hits your paddle, it will just infinitely bounce until you get to the next level. <laughs> I know. I kept I kept progressing through the game without doing anything. <laughs> I was I... like, what is happening here? And There's this is actually a... the last one of the three games I played, so it was a very 
jarring I, I can imagine a very jarring experience <laughs> to play like these incredibly sort of robust like developed things then you come it's like oh my god i'm back into it <laughs> video games contain multitudes yes, have, Nat, have you ever seen the um do, do you know the on netflix there's a a tim robinson series called i think you should leave oh uh, we started watching that <laughs> we watched like five episodes and then i just couldn't like it's really it's a hard show to binge because every yeah. joke is the same joke. <laughs> yeah, you start to see the patterns pretty quickly. <laughs> but, is, he is going to be there and talk for an uncomfortably funny amount of time, <laughs> and then he's going to scream. He's going to be screaming at you a little bit. <laughs> so there is a, a previous special called uh, "Characters" that Tim Robinson did. That was like his first like introduction to Netflix, and there's a there's a one in that where these. If they're at like a corporate bat like uh, event and they're the uh entertainment is called the pointer brothers and it's these guys who come on stage and they just point at people and they're pointing the whole time and they're like singing a song and they're just all pointing at people in the audience and they're a guy goes certainly that can't be all that this is <laughs> And I sort of felt that way a little bit when I was playing Zepball. of like, certainly this isn't it. You know what I mean? But yeah, it is. That's 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 what it is. So it I mean, the line, it's like the line between like, I mean, this is what itch is, right? It's just a place where you can put like little jams and experiments, mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily have to be like a professionally yeah. released product yes. in that way. Right, and I guess we always get into this on this show too, but it's like it's so easy to access these games too, that you might as well, why not throw it on for a little bit just yeah, to I... see, see what it's like. And you know, you get, I don't know. Like I also feel like sometimes the games that are less polished, I don't know, cause you to think more about how they came to be, you know, cause mm -hmm. you see the seams I... a little bit easier. Um, well, like people just like often write about why they made a thing like as this person like says in their game descriptions like oh i made this 15 years ago cool right. all right on the internet that keeps that keeps it alive for a bit well i mean we don't need to i think belabor the point about this one it's you know this is it, it feels like kind it of a, what it is yeah yeah it feels like, it's almost like a pre-flash game relic it sort of feels like, like I, you know what i mean like it doesn't even feel like something you would it doesn't even feel like slime volleyball it feels like before that like you would you know, it would be on your computer when it had MS-DOS or something like that, and then you could run it. Uh, so it, we do this metric about, like, pass or play on here. Um, it doesn't really feel fair for this one, but I would say I'm a pass. Like, I don't know. I, I didn't get a lot out of it. But I do think it's a creative project. It's interesting to see, like, where this person started from, and maybe they're, they're still making cool games today. Um, yeah, I didn't actually look at, like, if they've done anything else. I suppose that's kind of me and Matt's job, but we didn't do a good job <laughs> to provide the content. I guess not on itch. Their their itch page is just a three line biography saying, I am not your friend, I am not your god, I am just a man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This person needs this person needs to make more games. <laughs> yeah. Where is the Zepball sequel, Blaine Kyle? Maybe you should reach out and do see if they're interested in doing an interactive sort of. <laughs> There's, there are no, there are no, there are no contact details here anywhere. <laughs> um, Nat, do you think you're a pass or a play? Um, uh, sorry. Oh, I'm getting confused with Matt. Yeah, and, Matt, uh... Matt. <laughs> I'll call, I'll know. call Matt Matthew for the rest of the okay, podcast. Okay, perfect, perfect. Just to, and then I'll call Nat Matthew. So. <laughs> 
Um, go for it, Nat. I think this is a pass. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Matthew? Uh, I am also a pass. You know, same thing. You know, it, it's you can play it for a few minutes and see what we're talking about, but there's no real reason to spend time with this game. If you want to play a Brick Breaker game, I'm sure there's other great ones out there you could check out. Arkanoid is probably free on the browser. Yeah, you can probably a billion Brick Breaker games out there. <laughs> yeah. There are actually them, more Brick Breaker games them, than there are people. <laughs> most of them are just my first game project. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, next game we played was Sagebrush from the Palestinian Aid Bundle by Redact Games. An adventure 3D exploration, first-person horror, lo-fi, retro, single-player, story-rich walking simulator. Description. Sagebrush is the first-person narrative adventure that explo- about exploring the compound of apocalyptic millennials cult in, relo- in remote New Mexico years after they collectively took their lives in a mass suicide event. You investigate the long-abandoned Black Sage Ranch, the former home of Perfect Heaven, an apocalyptic cult formed in the early 1990s under the guiding hand of the Prophet Father James. Okay. This game's kind of rad. <laughs> I really like this one. Yeah, me I too. I had forgotten as well until I looked on their HP that I have to do a disclosure because Redact Games also made a game called Cellular Harvest, which Zelavier worked on. Mm. Oh, <laughs> oh, gotcha. That's so, that's so cool. Because Zelavier has written every indie game in the last <laughs> 15 years months i'm i'm sorry we have to strike this episode from the record <laughs> actually yeah this is, this is this is gamergate all over again folks <laughs> um that uh well i mean you know different different thing but but th- this you're it's a this kind of feels like the the ps1 horror game aesthetic you mentioned previously like the graphics are sort of like ps1e you're walking around this cult compound uh, unlocking videotapes and kind of procedurally figuring out the next clue, fetching different things, mm-hmm. uncovering kind of this really spooky, creepy story mm-hmm. as, as it develops. One thing I loved was the, the music was great. The sound design was great. And the way after you would sort of unlock every story event, it would get progressively darker outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the end, it was like pitch black and like, scary <laughs> yeah the, the thing that really struck me about with this game's visuals was the, is the lighting the lighting mm-hmm. is really amazing yeah. and it's, it actually makes me think like with this ps1 sort of aesthetic what people are able to do with the textures of games from that era and sort of like the art design with like modern or more like i don't know lighting effects and and you know things of that nature so I know, I know Nate Barons is definitely in like the Haunted PS1 sphere, but like I spoke to a bunch of people for a wireframe interview a ways back. I spoke to um, Brogan Hackett, who started the sort of Discord where a lot of this stems for. And I spoke to the developers of Paratopic just about like the entire like retro horror thing. And one of the really interesting things that came out of it was like there isn't really any kind of like gospel of like sticking to sticking religiously to like the ps1's technical limitations it's more about like the vibe of it and using Mm. like the way in which that hardware was like uniquely early 
it was like uniquely creepy in the way that like vertices jiggle and right, everything's right. a bit rough and like this game like i don't think there's any way that this like actually runs on a ps1 but it's doing it's making a deliberate choice to be low resolution to like feel crunchy and uncertain yeah and i that is like the uncertainty of the aesthetic like i don't know like perceiving things without that the fidelity you know but i'll but the having the um yeah i guess it is something that in terms of more mainstream games has been sort of lost because everything's about clarity everything's about uh you know making things as high resolution as possible explicit yeah yeah I mean, these games like actively play with your perception or like the way you're you're taking in the world in a way that's really interesting. It's there's something about it too. Like the gameplay is basically just like a a, a massive fetch quest. Like you're kind of running around to the same areas, uh, which could be boring. You know what I mean? Like, but it's not. I did get like street stuck like twice. (laughs) What's that mean? Sorry, what does street stop mean? No, or no, I, I, got, I like straight. I got like straight stuck on it oh. like a couple of times. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, there are a few. I, I actually pulled up a. Um... But it is very um. It's very like adventure gamey. Yeah, yeah. In that way, where it's a lot of like reading notes to figure out where you're supposed to go next, and like finding keys, finding codes for padlocks. My favorite was just thinking about like, wow, they really left a lot of tapes lying around. <laughs> For people to listen to. I, mean, I think they I think they play with that sort of coming up to the end of the game because I don't mm-hmm. I don't remember if it like makes it entirely clear who you are in this space when you arrive. I don't think so. Yeah, the twist but at the is, end was a lot. That was that yeah, got pretty sort of, got pretty heavy. And just like the the way that the last shot like recontextualizes the space, like suddenly the church that you're in is just like burnt out and dilapidated. Mm-hmm. You're like, it plays with reality in a very interesting way in that sense. Yeah. You're sort of, you're revisiting this place and it, it was something else in your head for so long. And now mm-hmm. you you still sort of see it as that until you finally do process your time there and what it was and you can kind of experience it all it feel if i felt like i went through a whole journey when i was playing this it hits just the right kind of like eeriness that it needs to mm. especially like in the way that the lighting changes and like you'll just turn on lights earlier in the game just to like read or see things in the dark room and you'll come walk past it later when the sun's gone down and the house will just be like bleeding red light out of it, or you'll see like that lit was a towards lot. somewhere else. Yeah, that really spooked me out. The re- the red light like fucked me up in that one house. Hi. And then just it, like, like it like feels yeah. lonely. It like feels like an like an empty space in a way. That like you can't just hit by just like putting a house in a field. <laughs> So let's get into final thoughts, uh, Matt or uh, Matthew. What do you think? <laughs> uh, I, I'm a total play on this. I mean, you should check it out. Just be in this world, be creeped out by it. Um, yeah, it does a lot of really um, 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 immersing things with the way it's presented that I don't know um, are worth checking out. And yeah, it's like maybe an hour and a half long. Totally worth your time. Play. Uh, Nat, what about you? 
yeah, this was absolutely be a play. It's a, it's just a very like tightly told short story in a very like, I'm, I'm slipping on words today. It's just, it's, it's a really like beautiful space yeah. to explore. So yeah. I'm, I'm totally a, a play too. Triple play. This is a very cool game. When we talk about like, you know, it's like a piece of storytelling because it is a narrative game. And when you play something like this, that where the story gets kind of uncovered slowly over the course of it, and you're sort of like backtracking around to, to figure out different things and everything kind of comes together. There's like all of these different buildings that you can see. And it's like, oh, I wonder when I'm going to access that one. And then you do and you learn a little bit more and you're sort of like all building up to this one thing. It, it's kind of a cool masterclass in like unveiling things uh, as you go along and it's like you said it's super tight super quick uh it looks great and it's such a vibey game um i i really enjoyed it i got creeped out quite a bit like if they had uh i well i don't want to spoil anything but like it, it's it's spooky like there's stuff going on the whole the, the thing is like a real vibe that's it that's a very ground it's a very grounded spookiness as well like it's yeah. not supernatural it is just mm -hmm. the ways in which people are flawed mm -hmm. the way in which people are awful to each other and I, like i don't yeah. like it's definitely not i was looking at the credits afterwards and it's just like the lead developer is one of the does the voices for like one of the characters in the logs i think i didn't look up it's either his sister or his partner someone same surname does the voice of the lead character and it, I don't know if they're like professional voice actors, but they have just like this very like naturalistic, very like this isn't acting. This is just mm -hmm. people talking kind of way to it that lends to a lot of like this cult leader isn't charismatic. He's just a guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he sounds like just a guy. Everyone right, right. in the game, you're totally right. Just sounds like just a guy or a gal. You know, it's Hi. like it's it's great. It's it, it feels very grounded in that way, too. I think it could feel a little um, amateurish if it wasn't so good, but because it's hmm. such a good game, it carries that through so well. Yeah, like the writing and the pacing like really saves it from yes. and just like the 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 visual, the audio visuals of the entire thing. Like, yes, yeah, every it's all framed really nicely. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think? Colts are bad, right? That's what <laughs> I mean. Verdicts out. That I think the game really does a great job of leaving it up to you to decide. <laughs> <laughs> Games are really good when they give you a choice between the good thing and the bad thing. Um, that is interesting, though, to think about. It's like you really don't make a single choice the whole game. It sort of just unfolds in front of you, and it really doesn't matter. You're just, it's similar to what yeah. we were talking about earlier. You know, it's just like that, that it's a really tightly told story in the medium that it is. And uh, I think that's always really impressive when, when someone can do that. Um, and speaking of a tightly told story, let's that's a triple play for this one. The next one, <laughs> Out for Delivery from the Ukraine Bundle. This is by uh, Zushin Gao. It's a 360 video uh, documentary experimental exploration first person single player game. Out for Delivery is a slice of life 360 interactive documentary. It follows a food, a food delivery courier in Beijing on January 23rd, 2020, the day before the Lunar New Year's Eve on the day Wuhan shut down due to COVID-19. This game is so cool. Like I, <laughs> I Matt and I talked about it a little bit pr previously. It's it's not really even a game. By... Yeah, I, like I wouldn't call it. Yeah, like I th I think that is a thing. A game discussion is fucking 
tediousness. Yet, right. But like it is. It's like it's film for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's it. The, the, I I'd even go as far to say that it's attempts at gamifying the experience by like the narrative put into the the little um, your phone. I'd say even that almost takes away from. I liked the phone things existing, if only because, like the core, like the core conceit of this game is that you're like in a three sixty video of a kind of day in the life of a delivery worker in Beijing, and dialogue is all like it's all in native Chinese, right? And so you're relying on seeing if you're not if you're not if you don't speak it, you're relying on these very cute text bubbles that appear above someone's head along with little eye emojis that give you like a the gist of like the emotion it's being spoken in right it is but it is quite easy to miss those because you have to look all the way around yourself so having Mm -hmm. the phone just like logging the entire game is like okay cool i i might have missed this I think I, I, uh, I think I entirely missed the, that functionality. <laughs> I don't think I realized. I, I think I was looking at it and was very confused by what it was trying to tell me. <laughs> it was nice. You could like go back and review other conversations that happened. But my experience of that was like you would do that at the expense of missing what else was going on as it continued. Maybe you could pause it. I didn't really get a sense. Yeah, I think you, you can pause yeah. it. Which is, uh, I think, the way to do it, actually. But right. really, it, it's just this person planted a 360 camera on top of some delivery drivers and you just follow this person's day. And it's a level of sort of like immersive voyeurism and like exploration and cultural, uh, cultural communication that I don't know if I was expecting at, at all when I booted this thing up. It really is just like a piece of uh, documentary filmmaking. Uh, and because of like the era when, when it happened, like right before COVID, it's kind mm-hmm. of a, a wonderful snapshot of a time uh, that like right before things got fucking weird and bad, you, right. you, you know, like it's yeah, just... like people, people like mention at the very start yeah. like, talking about like, can't, can't go into Wuhan. <laughs> yeah. They're making and jokes. They're like cracking jokes weird. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I just, is, is there... I... oh, go Sorry. ahead. I was going to say, it's weird because I'm not weird, but it's interesting how like, it's not shot like a completely like point of view. It's not like the filmmaker is invisible. They are still like, you can look around at any point and see, um, I've forgotten her name. I think it's Zuzhen Gao, right? The the developer? Yeah. Yeah, Yuzhen Gao. And like, you can, you can just see her like at any point, people will like, at a, on occasion, like the delivery guy will go up to a shop and the person will ask about like, oh, why is there a kid here? <laughs> like, oh, joke about like being in front of an audience. Yeah. There's that great moment when the delivery driver goes into the apartment complex to deliver it. And there's a guy in the elevator who is just like giving the camera the biggest stink eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy fucking rocked. <laughs> <laughs> so much character. I mean, that's the thing. It's just by virtue of bringing this car- this camera out into the world and just documenting th- this experience, like you were able, and yes, like people reacting and like looking at the camera and whatever, it's like the filmmaker is um, very much so an actor or a part of the experience but like i i don't know i just 
I was, um, it made me think a lot about like the, the power of, uh, something like a 360 degree camera and the power of immersion, like feeling mm-hmm. immersed in a world, like, and you know, in past, like you can Im- immerse yourself with a documentary as well edited and like looks very nice, but this, I just feel, I don't know. I bought a VR headset like a week after I got this. I, I played this game just because I was Did, so... Does this work with VR, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it does. Oh, and wow. That's probably is, so cool. It's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. And now, you know, just as a historical document to have this, I, I feel like it's something I could imagine showing students, you know, at some point and... I don't know. It's, it's, it's very cool. Very cool. I'm kind of going off the rails here. <laughs> it's so weird because like a thought I kept having while watching this is like, does this work if it's a like traditionally shot documentary if I'm just watching like a camera person film a courier doing their job for a day and like, I don't honestly know. <laughs> right. right. I wonder. I, I think it part of I, I love to watch stupid youtube videos like that you know what i mean not stupid yeah. excuse me but like there's a guy who does mostly silent documentaries of him doing like little day trips around japan and it's just the cameras from his point of view and he's walking around and like it cuts between like he's like this is the first class cabin on this train here's what i had for lunch and there's an, it's like just the sounds of what he's doing and i'll, I'll watch those completely uh enraptured for you know 30 40 minutes and then afterwards i'm like well i didn't really learn anything but i completely experienced this person's thing for a little bit and this feels quite a bit like that i think immersion is a really great way of putting it matt because you can kind of pan around there is there's not really anything happening you know what i mean from like a narrative standpoint whereas in sagebrush you're on a very specific narrative track and you're uncovering Mm -hmm. this sort of meaningful story that you can think a lot about. And this, you're sort of just following someone's normal day-to-day life and they have a job to do, but there's not like any conflict that is predetermined or something like that. They just sort of, there's a part where they're trying to find somewhere and that's a little rough, but like they, they do it and then you move on with the yeah, day. It's not, it's not even like, it's not short. Like it's trying to be like, it, it's not short. Like it's trying to be like an empathy machine. It's not trying to be like, exactly. oh no, look at these look at the poor drivers it's it's just like you are just at work with one person as yeah. they do their job for a few hours you get you it's just like you're hearing people have like these goofy ass work conversations yeah. or just like actually serious like talking about their rent or mortgage problems with each other in the cafe or the moment where you're sitting outside a shop and this like mom walks past and it's just like I should have had a son instead of a daughter. Uh, help me carry <laughs> There's all that stuff. I, I, mean, I loved, I love just really quickly. Like even when you're playing, you kind of feel like a cinematographer because you're choosing what to look yeah. at and like looking at the fringes and just like people walk by like yeah. things that you normally would not be documented or in focus. Or maybe like I was thinking of like amazing filmmakers, like, uh, like a uh, Kiara Stami and like how he would film, like, you know, the water bottle, like rolling down the road. And you'd catch that, you know, and it's like, you're able to kind of find those little moments of sort of just mundane poetry. Yeah. Well, there's like, yourself. there's that bit where like, 
he puts the scooter down outside and just like leaves yes five full minutes and there's like a whole thing going on behind where like a family walks past and the mom is talking to her kid and the kid's playing and you could just miss all of that if you didn't turn the camera around it's amazing (laughs) that part was was so cool too it was so cool to just be a little fly on the wall it is like it's just people watching yeah Mm -hmm. you know to alex to like you know i'm those walk the city walking tours and things like that yeah they got them in vr <laughs> you could do them. I, be- I believe <laughs> it i've never I, it's never really occurred to me that like that would be the function i would get the most out of vr but i absolutely would love to just sort of like mm-hmm. go exploring that way yeah. well, delivery like, told me it's like it's like the way I, when i like travel i hate feeling like a tourist but like the thing i like doing is just being able to like exist in a space i'm unfamiliar with in this game this documentary just like was that yes absolutely yeah that's interesting the tension between not wanting to be a tourist but because you want to just be absorbing it you don't want to be i don't know like come like be perceived or like and that like that probably comes from like a a low-key form of guilt of like i don't want to be a british person abroad because (laughs) we know what they're like Oh, oh well, yeah. Imagine being American. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't relate to that at all. Being an American, <laughs> um, I, I I totally uh, know what you mean. I the, the, the that to go sort of a different route too. The the way in which you're exposed, to like the different facets of China, you know, being in these incredibly clean, massive uh shopping malls that are just like yeah, like the scale the scale of the mall like threw me entirely we don't have anything even like a tenth of that scale i mean we we have stuff sort of like that in, in la but like it's so shitty compared to that that it's it's it, it really i've been having this thought a lot lately driving around los angeles about like oh the united states is in complete like perpetual decline now you know the the best days of this country quote unquote are behind us and then you watch that and it's like this is where shit's happening right now you know but but at the same time you have that thought you're experiencing this thing sort of like in awe of this massive scale and then you go to a really kind of rundown apartment complex and it's like oh this is how people also live you know but they have enough money to be able to order delivery and they live in this place like it's just this <laughs> you're confronting a lot of different elements at once without any kind of commentary, which is uh, very rare and kind of bizarre. If yeah. I'm being totally well, it's honest. so easy to imagine like the traditional documentary version of this that has a narrator talking mm-hmm. about like, oh, the financial realities of mm-hmm. the driver. I mean, he has to do so many deliveries a day. And like the only times anything like that comes up is like when you're passing another driver on the street and they're talking about like, oh, I want I want to do like 20 more deliveries tomorrow. So I get a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes it like more powerful, I think, you Completely. know, because it's it's not like, you know, like in life, you're never consumed by your own narrative. You're just doing what you have to do. <laughs> and so I don't know, to. I don't know, have some, you know, in conversation, the solidarity between you and somebody where, I don't know, there's this, there's a lot going on here. Someone smarter than me needs to, <laughs> needs to try to It is an incredible, it. yeah. it, it's, it's, a, I, to, to your earlier point, uh, Nat, like the question of like, is this a game or not? You, you know, like, well, in Sagebrush, there was 
no meaningful decision you could make that would change the narrative route you're on. But there is a level of interactivity that you're exploring a space, Hi. you're walking around. In this, there's not even that, you know? It really is just a film with sort of these little gamey elements, you know, kind of like sprinkled in, you know? It, yeah. Uh, so. And like the, the, the UI stuff is extremely cute. Yeah, <laughs> like it I really can... is. It really is. But, you know, the, the, I'm with you. Let's not have the argument of like, is this a game or not? But I do think there is an argument to be had of like, is this a game or not? I, I'm just going to say it, it is, it, it is it, a game. I, yeah, I think it's less like, is this a game or not? But it's like, it is definitely enhanced by its interactivity mm -hmm. in that Completely. way. In Zep Ball, you have four paddles that you're controlling. <laughs> <laughs> and in this game... <laughs> well, I mean, um, examining Zep Ball through this lens, you know, the, the narrative arc in Zep Ball is uh, much more defined. You're, you're gaining right. points. There's really not a lot of editorializing in Zep Ball either. <laughs> <which> is... <laughs> um. Well, cool. Final thoughts. Is this, are, are you guys a pass for play? I'll start. I am like so hard to play on this. It's like I'm slamming the button and it like shatters. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's play folks. This is like a historical document. And I think the direction, a, a direction that I would like to see, if not games, just like experiential, uh, um, storytelling go in. Like, this is so cool. Uh, I love. I really loved it. I loved my time with this, and I am going to like tell anyone out there to play it. Uh, Matt, what about you? Matthew, what about you? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, um, I am uh, absolutely a play, and I feel the same way. Like I'm going to show my dad this game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, I, I'm. I feel like it is a very accessible, uh, you know, experience that nonetheless have an enormous impact. So yeah, it's a very cool experimental thing that I think we're probably going to see a lot more of, you know, as, as time goes on and technology improves. So big play. Nat, what do you think? No, absolutely play triple play. This is like, it's the kind of thing that I go to like a show, like a maze or a feral vector or like any to like experience these things that are doing really interesting things with the idea of play and interactivity and art. It is such like, I don't really see, it feels weird to even say like powerful because it's such a quiet and honest and earnest little thing, but it's just like, it's, it's such just like a nice wee experience. I think powerful is a great way to put it. I definitely felt, profoundly moved by this thing in a way I was not expecting to be like I, there were several times when I like exclaimed or like was like excited that, that moment when the lure driver walks away and he doesn't bring the camera with him and you're just outside listening to the birds chirp in mm. that place I was like I, I got so amped I don't know what was going on I was just like yes this rocks like it was such a co cool quiet moment and I'm totally with you powerful is, is a great way to put it um okay that's another triple play uh Nat, thank you so much for being on the podcast this was so much fun yeah thank you very much for having me it was really cool to get to try these things yeah um is there anything you'd like to plug anywhere our listeners can go find your stuff obviously your itch page has some cool experimental games on it some some really great stuff uh can androids prey is wonderful uh where else would you like to to, to focus folks 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, all my stuff is on scarletcatsley.itch.io. All my writing these days is on this little website called pcgamer.com. <laughs> Maybe you've and heard of it. All my all my horrible, horrible Apex Brainworm tweets are on Twitter <laughs> at its underscore Nat Clayton. <laughs> It's a real bummer that our other co-host Eric couldn't be on because uh, he is a massive Apex Legends player, and it would have been yes. very interesting to watch you guys. Maybe not interesting. Maybe it just would have been. <laughs> I think it's probably incredibly a good thing. Really. tedious <laughs> for everyone else involved. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining yeah, us. Thank Matt. you. And I just want to say, I really, um, I'm excited to see what you do next. I think yeah. Ken Andrews' play is so cool, and clearly. Um, clearly you have, you, I feel like you have a lot of modesty and that's great, but you're, you're doing awesome stuff. So we're excited to, to have you in the bundles buddies universe and <laughs> help yeah, you see, see what you do. Oh, that was great. I think that we're getting very good at this. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> um, all right. So next week. So this is funny. Next week is a show. If you enjoyed this week's episode, next week is absolutely nothing like it because I uh, am hosting the show on my own. And our guest next week is a very good friend of mine, uh, Greg Carber, who, um, requested that we do exclusively murder mysteries so next week is a murder mystery marathon extravaganza where we play three uh murder mysteries hand-picked from our, our bundles um the games were home a unique horror adventure by bansy co murder at the cat show a detective game it's actually detective series episode two by shantae and 2000 to one a space felony a murder mystery courtroom drama in space by national insecurities if you love murder if you love mystery, if you love listening to somebody very, very smart talk um, for a while, then uh, next week is worth uh, worth a listen. Please uh, come check it out. What you, do you, you think? You, you're talking about what yourself, you right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah. I'm a... I am so smart. Uh, no, it's it's funny because talking to Greg, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, God damn it, this guy's smarter than I am. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, you don't have to do much to get him talking. He should host this podcast. Um, Let's bring him in every week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have him audition. Uh, like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review, please. You can track us down on the web at bundle underscore buddies on Twitter. Uh, and www.bundlebuddiespodcast.com. Matthew, Eric, any, 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 anything you want to? Any little words of wisdom, pearls of uh, brilliance you want to sort of lead us out with? Uh, I think you know. Sometimes when you're feeling a little down, what you should do is you should go outside during the night, find the moon, and just. Look up at the moon, because how many more times will you do that in your life? 
There you go. I love that. La Bella Luna. La Bella Luna. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love you, Matt. Love you, Eric. Bundle Buddies is produced by Matthew Haddock. Our theme song is Neo Shiki by Roll Music. Email bundlebuddiespodcast at gmail.com to say hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs>